Hello, and welcome back to the Come Follow Me Bible Challenge. My name is Jeremy Howard. I'm the staff pastor of Orchard Hills Bible Church in Payson, Utah. Thanks for joining me today. Today we're going to talk about the book of Daniel. We're going through the Old Testament following the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Come Follow Me Sunday School Curriculum Schedule. Not following their curriculum. I'm, I'm making up my own curriculum as we go through. But uh, following their schedule, and for the week of October 31st to November 6th, Daniel 1 through 6 is on the docket, but uh, we're going to look at Daniel 7, breaking the rules. Uh, all of Daniel's great to read. We, we could look at Daniel chapter 2 and have a lot of the same conversation we're going to have from chapter 7, but chapter 7 has that amazing heavenly scene of the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man that I really want us to examine together. But this is the uh, last stop before the Minor Prophets. Next week, it's Hosea and Joel. After that, Amos and Obadiah. Then Jonah and Micah. And we get into December, and we finish off the year with a talk on Christmas. So that's what's going on. And uh, next week, the, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, not next week, next year, um, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints will be going through the New Testament for the Come Follow Me series, and I plan on just keep doing what I'm doing. Uh, I'm having a good time. It is interesting to note, I was looking at the schedule for that, that uh, the first six months of that schedule in 2023 is just the four Gospels, and the seventh month is Acts. So first seven months, all, all we're doing is Gospel and Acts, and then that leaves five months for Romans through Revelation. The book of Romans, it's only two weeks next year. One week for chapters 1 through 8, and one week for chapters 9 through 16. I don't know how I'm going to do that. I mean, I, I can't do Romans in two weeks. I, I don't know what will happen when we get there. But I've got like 10 months before I need to worry about that. So out of sight, out of mind for the moment. And uh, today we're going to talk about Daniel chapter 7. And this amazing vision, Daniel got lots of visions from the Lord and this one is a, a vision of four beasts. It's about nations and kingdoms, Gentile kingdoms, and uh, what's going to happen to those Gentile kingdoms over the course of time. So let's jump in. Daniel chapter 7, uh, verses 1 through 8. Yeah, do I read this all word for word? Yeah, I'll go ahead and read it word for word. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions in his mind as he lay in, on his bed. Then he wrote the dream down and related the following summary of it. Daniel said, I was looking in my night I was looking in my vision by night, rather, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, Mediterranean Sea, and four great beasts were coming up from the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had the wings of an eagle. I kept looking until its wings were plucked, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. A human mind also was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, resembling a bear. And it was raised up on one side, and three ribs were in its mouth between its teeth. And thus they said to it, Arise, devour much meat. After this, I kept looking, and behold, another one, like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. 
After this, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, a dreadful and terrifying, uh, or dreadful and terrifying and extremely strong, and it had large iron teeth. It devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with its feet, and it was different from all the other beasts that were before it. It had ten horns. While I was contemplating the horns, behold, another horn, a little one, came up from among them, and three of the first horns were pulled out by the roots before it, and behold, this horn possessed eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth uttering great boasts. Well, that would freak you out probably, huh? If you had that dream, you, you probably wouldn't be sure what to do with that, with that dream. Well, God gave this vision to Daniel, and it had a specific intent. Uh, the, this, this dream contained meaning that would be revealed to Daniel here later in this chapter a bit. And, and we have a great advantage on this side of history where we can look back and see how things played out. Um, so basically, uh, this vision parallels in a lot of ways the vision in chapter 2. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream about a uh, statue, um, this statue of a man made of different materials. And these kingdoms that are spoken of here by these beasts were spoken of in chapter 2 with inanimate objects. So you've got animate objects in chapter 7 and inanimate objects in chapter 2, all representing the same kingdoms. And you've got the first beast that's like a lion, that's the Babylonian Empire. And it's replaced by this bear rising up on one side, and that's the Medo-Persian Empire that came after the Babylonian Empire. And then that's replaced by this leopard with wings and four heads, which is Greece. You can read about Alexander the Great and how he took over uh, the world, known world, uh, critical parts of the world at that time. And also, it's interesting, the Apocrypha is very helpful at this uh, juncture. The Apocrypha goes into details about these empires, especially with Alexander the Great. And uh, I, I don't believe the Apocrypha is Scripture at all. I'm not advocating it in that way. But just because something's not Scripture doesn't mean it's not useful, right? Uh, so I find it very helpful historically on that point. And then you have this fourth beast that then replaces the the third one, the leopard. The fourth beast, and, and we don't even have a description. You know, you got lion, bear, leopard for the first three. And then when you get to the fourth, it's just like crazy-looking, terrifying, teeth of iron, ten horns, uh, crazy-looking thing that can't really be described. And uh, these are Gentile kingdoms. These, of course, aren't Israelite kingdoms. These are Gentile kingdoms. And they, they're happening in succession one after the other. And a great point in all of this, at, at this uh, moment in our study, um, a, a great point here is that uh, God knew what was going to happen. God knew, of course, exactly what was going to happen with all these kingdoms. And Daniel before all of this played out in world history, is led by God to write this down and describe these kingdoms coming one after another um, and, and describing them in certain ways. Again, you can look at chapter 2 for some more detail on that. But this is pretty amazing, and we see this over and over and over again in the Bible, that God enables men who are prophets to accurately tell what's going to happen. Now, these prophets don't exist anymore. You're not going to find prophets like this giving giving visions and uh, or having visions and giving details like this. This isn't the way God is operating in the world right now. 
Um, so it's not, not happening, but we have this preserved for us where we look back and say, whoa, now that is a prophecy. So much of what people call prophecies today are, are nowhere near this. They're just, they're just not even close. And uh, people who take the name of prophet don't even try because you can't be this accurate. And, uh, here we see God working in Daniel's life in such a way that it's quite accurate, quite, quite accurate. And so, um, at this point, after he has this uh, vision, he, he has another vision, okay? And the two will get tied together here at the end. Um, it'll all kind of converge, and, and we'll talk through it. But let's continue with Daniel, seeing what he is seeing in his vision. He, had, he saw these four beasts. Now what? I kept looking, it says, verse 9, until thrones were set up, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His vesture was like white snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames. Its wheels were a burning fire. A river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands were attending him, and myriads upon myriads were standing before him. The court sat, and the books were open. Then I kept looking because of the sound of the boastful words which the horn was speaking, I kept looking until the beast was slain, and its body was destroyed and given to the burning fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but an extension of life was granted to them for an appointed period of time. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion glory in a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Wow, it's amazing stuff. Let's start by, again, looking at the Ancient of Days here. And uh, if you want another parallel in your Bible, you can cross-reference this with Ezekiel 1. You see here uh, in Verse 9, the end of verse 9, talking about his throne being ablaze with flames and having wheels that were a burning fire. This is very similar to what Ezekiel saw in his visions. But the Ancient of, Dane, Ancient of Days sits on his own throne. You see that thrones are being set up, so there are different kingdoms here, and this is introducing now a fifth kingdom. And he takes his seat, and his description here is, is quite interesting. Uh, we should note that this isn't so we can draw a picture of him. Daniel isn't saying, uh, here, r- really, really take this uh, imagery of these physical descriptions and run with it in your mind so that you can really limit what the Ancient of Days looks like by your own imagination. That's not what's being said here. But something else is being communicated. The Ancient of Days had vesture like white snow and his hair was like pure wool. What is white snow and pure wool symbolize? Well, of course, this is talking about total righteousness, purity, cleanness, that there's no sin, there's nothing wrong with this Ancient of Days in any way whatsoever. You think of those beasts that were described before this, and they're frightening, right? Uh, You've got all kinds of frightening things that are happening in death, destruction, devouring as a part of their nature. And here we see life, vesture like white snow and the hair of his head like pure wool 
And then you've got fire happening too. Again, the, the throne was ablaze with flames. The wheels are burning fire. Verse 10, a river of fire was f- flowing and coming out from before him. Whoa. And then thousands upon thousands were attending him. So this is worship. This is a scene of worship, right? People standing before a great sea of people, standing before the Ancient of Days, who is God himself, and worshiping him. And you've got fire and whiteness happening at the same time, symbolizing uh, not just his own purity, but his just judgment. And that, uh, boy, all that comes before him will be tested by fire and only what's righteous will remain. So this is the scene, a great, amazing description of God here in that he is the king, right? The ultimate king, the one who takes his seat. He's the ancient of days, meaning, of course, he's eternal. Uh, There is no beginning to his days. He's the only one who can be rightly called the ancient of days. Well, and then the Son of Man is presented before him, verses 13 and 14. As Daniel keeps looking in the night visions, one like a Son of Man, verse 13 says, came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him, the Son of Man, was given these things, dominion, glory, and a kingdom. Dominion, glory, and a kingdom. Now, you, uh, you, you answer this. You can even say it out loud if you want, of course. Uh, would this be appropriate for any creature to receive dominion, glory, and a kingdom? Ponder that one for a moment. Would it be right for God, the Ancient of Days, to give glory, dominion, a kingdom to a creature? <clears throat> well, of course, the answer is absolutely not. No, 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 that wouldn't be appropriate um, for God to give those things to a mere creature. And why is that? Well, because we know as creatures that uh, as human beings, we know that we've sinned, right? And so we're not worthy of glory, dominion, and a kingdom. Uh, we're not worthy to be uh, rulers of of all things on the earth. We uh, e- even to the angels. Okay, angels are creatures, and they've not sinned. Uh, the the ones who remain as angels, the, those who have sinned, have fallen, and they're demons, right? But those who haven't become demons, those who are uh, still righteous, these angels, it's they're not worthy of glory, dominion, and a kingdom. Um, God is creator and we are creatures. And so what's going on here? Well, what, what, what's the deal? Well, let's, let's finish out verse 14. Um, he was given these things that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. Okay. Now let's, let's keep thinking. Would it be right for any creature to be plucked out of all the other creatures and be given this kind of glory, dominion, and kingdom, I already said no, um, so that all other creatures would serve that, that, uh, that creature. You know, it, would, it be, would it be appropriate for one creature to be selected as king creature and all other creatures bow down to king creature? Nope. Nope, that wouldn't be appropriate. Keep reading. 
His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. In all of your reading of earthly kingdoms, uh, do you see a way that that's even possible, that a creature could keep such a dominion that would never be destroyed? Uh, Boy, I don't think so. I don't think so at all. Um, There's just no way that this this would play out if the Son of Man was a creature. And uh, we'll talk more about this as we finish out the study. But, but what are we left with here? Okay, if, if it's inappropriate that any creature would be treated this way, then who is the Son of Man? We already said the Ancient of Days is God. Okay, that's, of course, the term Ancient of Days mean, means eternal. And these descriptions show that this can only be speaking of God. The Son of Man, then based on these descriptions, to have such glory, dominion, and a kingdom, be worthy of service from all peoples and nations, men of every language. The Son of Man must be God, too. If he's not a creature, he must be the creator. And so you've got the Ancient of Days described as God, the Son of Man described as God. And that's why the Jews have interpreted the Son of Man here as the Messiah, the coming one. Now, that's not to say Jews are Trinitarian. Uh, they, they certainly uh, aren't. But you have a, a great passage here that gets us into Trinitarian theology, where we start saying, well, look, there's only one God. That's absolutely clear in Scripture. And you've got the Ancient of Days here described as God, and you've got the Son of Man here described as God, and they're not the same person. They're interacting with one another. The Son of Man comes up to the Ancient of Days. He's presented before the Ancient of Days, so they're not one and the same, yet there's only one God. And so as you work through that, you start getting to, okay, there are two persons in God. There's the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man. And, of course, you read the whole of Scripture and you recognize we have Father, Son, and Spirit, and it seems as though the Ancient of Days here, that's God the Father. And the Son of Man, well, that's the title Jesus used for himself during his earthly uh, ministry. He's uh, That's Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then, of course, the Holy Spirit, too, is described throughout Scripture as God, but there's only one God. So you have three persons and one God. Now, I want to revisit a statement before I uh, get back into the vision of the four beasts. I want to uh, revisit my statement of whether it would be appropriate or not for creatures to be given uh, kingdom, glory, and dominion. What's amazing is the Son of Man, as he is, he, as he is given this kingdom, glory, and dominion, he does have those who reign with him. Scripture says that God has made those who are his, God has made his people to be a kingdom and priests to him. You can see that in Revelation chapter 1, that God has made his people a kingdom. Yet there is only one king of kings, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Man, who is not a creature. And yes, we will reign with him, Christians will, those who understand and believe the gospel. We will reign with him. But that is a total act of God's grace, isn't it? That is not because we are deserving. That is not because it is owed to us. It is because God in his 
amazing infinite grace has included us in his family, has brought us in to be saints through the gospel, that we might reign with Christ, and we will judge the world, it says in 1 Corinthians 6, and we will judge angels, it says in the same passage. And in Revelation 5, it says, we will reign with him. So are we worthy of that? No. Is the Son of Man worthy of that? Yes. That's the distinction between creature and creator, okay? Well, let's uh, keep reading because Daniel really wants to know uh, what's what the deal is with the vision of the beast. And we're not going to read everything word for word because there's just so much text here. But we see in verse 15 that Daniel says that his spirit was distressed because of the vision. That's understandable. And the visions in his mind kept alarming him. Again, very understandable as he gave us that description of those beasts. Um, well, basically, he's not too concerned about the first three beasts and their interpretation of those. It seems like, okay, that that makes sense. The beasts that are four in number, they're four kings who will arise from the earth. But then in verse 19, he's, it says that he desired to know the exact meaning of the fourth beast and of the ten horns that were on its head, verse 20. So that was particularly interesting to Daniel. Um, the first three, scary, yep. Disturbing, yep, but he really wants to know what's going on with this fourth beast. Well, um, he tells us a little bit more about this little horn. Uh, again, he repeats that he had eyes, okay, probably symbolizing knowledge, and he had a mouth uttering great boasts, okay, and uh, it was, uh, which was larger than appear in appearance than its associates. And he kept looking, and that horn was waging war with the saints and overpowering them. Okay, so now we're getting some uh, more information about what's going on. The horn was waging war with the saints. Okay, so now we're talking about not people of the world generally or people of a specific kingdom, but this is God's people, God's holy people. And not only that, he was overpowering them. So he's waging war seemingly successfully because he's overpowering them. And this happens until a certain point. Okay, so now, now we're kind of getting a timeline, because until is a timeline word, a, a chronology word. He's waging war with the saints and overpowering them until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the highest one. And the time arrived when the saints took possession of the kingdom. So this fifth kingdom comes, the, by the Ancient of Days coming in judgment, this fifth kingdom comes and supplants the fourth kingdom that was manifested in these ten horns and the little horn that was boasting and overpowering God's people. Well, God himself comes, and judgment was passed, it says, in favor of the saints of the highest one. That's pretty amazing. So these kingdoms are, are going after power in the world. And to do that, they have to attack God's people. Uh, God stands in the way of the power that they want. And God's people, of course, are united to him. And so they're in the way. They got to get run over. And this little horn that grows and overpowers uh, even some of the other ten horns, uh, you've got these ten horns and three of them are taken by the little horn. Well, he is 
very intelligent and he's boasting against God and he's seeking power and seeking to destroy God's people, well, God's going to come and he's going to put an end to that. Jesus uh, talked about this stuff um, in a few places, but I want to show you Luke 21. In Luke 21, it says, starting in verse 20, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that her desolation is near. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains, and those who are in the midst of the city must leave, and those who are in the country who must not enter the city, or those who are in the country must not enter the city, because these are days of vengeance, so that all things which are written will be fulfilled. Woe to those who are pregnant, and to those who are nursing babies in those days. For there will be great distress upon the land and wrath to this people, and they will fall by the edge of the sword and will be led captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Wow. So uh, perhaps you know about the date 70 AD. In, in 70 AD, a lot of stuff happened in Jerusalem and the uh, uh, surrounding area where Nero and other Roman leaders were waging war against uh, the Jews and against uh, Christians. And I mean, it, you just had all kinds of fighting going on, bloodbath. And uh, the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD. And Jerusalem was trampled. I mean, as Jesus describes it here, there was a lot of trampling that was going on. But uh, I, I find it interesting that Jesus says that this is going to keep happening. Uh, Jerusalem, this is the last part that I read, Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So again, there's our chronology word, a, a timeline word, until. There are times of Gentiles that are going to keep happening until they reach a fulfillment. Now, I think this is related to Daniel chapter 7, when it says that there's war happening with the saints until the Ancient of Days comes and judgment is passed. Okay? So, um, there are different views that Christians will take on timeline of all these things. Well, I believe that the times of the Gentiles is still happening today. I don't believe that was all fulfilled in 70 AD uh, because there's this uh, war being waged, generally speaking, against the people of God throughout the world in all times and in all generations. And it will culminate with a, with a pretty severe tribulation at the end. Now, was 70 AD and the time around 70 AD also a severe tribulation? Yes, but I don't think that's the ultimate one. I don't think that's the culmination or the apex of all that's happening. Uh, Jesus talked about in Matthew 24 how there's going to be a tribulation that's going to affect not just Jerusalem, but it's going to affect uh, people around the whole world. And what we find here in Daniel chapter 7 is that this uh, final kingdom before the, the final Gentile kingdom, before God's kingdom takes place over the earth, the final Gentile kingdom is going to expand over the whole world too. And uh, Daniel, well, I, I guess we just need to read the next verse. I was right there. Daniel 7, verse 23, it says, Thus he said, The fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on the earth, 
which will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth and tread it down and crush it. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings will arise and another will arise after them, and he will be different from the previous ones and will subdue three kings. He will speak out against the Most High and wear down the saints of the Highest One, and he will intend to make alterations in times and in law, and they will be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. But the court will sit for judgment, and his dominion will be taken away, annihilated, and destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, the dominion, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all the dominions will serve and obey him. So I think that's still to come. <laughs> that's what I'm saying, is I think that is yet future. And I want to finish by showing you Revelation 19, because I think that's where we see the culmination of all these things. Um, in there are other passages I could show you, like in Second Thessalonians chapter two, I believe Paul is speaking of this horn that boasts when he says that he'll take his place in the temple of God and he'll declare himself to be God, and the day of the Lord is going to come and there's going to be a time of judgment and it's going to happen on the earth. Revelation chapter three, Jesus tells the church of Philadelphia that there's a time of testing coming upon the whole earth. In Revelation 13, we start to learn about this Antichrist, capital A Antichrist, who's coming, this, this beast and the false prophet. And they're going to deceive many and, and going to try to manipulate the whole world and, and have a, a, a one-world government, try to manipulate people to uh, you know, be on their side by having a certain mark that people take and follow them and trust in them or the beast in particular, the Antichrist, over and against God himself. There's going to be all sorts of judgment happening on the face of the earth. And uh, this all leads up to Jesus coming back and God the Father, through God the Son, administering judgment on the face of the earth, striking down the little horn, and quickly, suddenly, setting up his own kingdom, that will supplant the one that was taking place then. So let, let's look at uh, Revelation 19, where John has a vision, a lot like uh, Daniel was having visions. And it says, I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty." And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun. Now that would be quite the sight, wouldn't it? And he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds which fly in midheaven, Come, assemble for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of commanders and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses, 
and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free men and slaves, and small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire which burns with brimstone, and the rest were killed with sword which came from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. So, this is Jesus coming back and destroying the kingdoms of Gentiles. And I think this is the end of the times of the Gentiles, where Jesus comes and and destroys what man has done to fight against him, specifically this beast and false prophet who are destined for destruction, and he he takes care of them. The dominion is taken away from them, as Daniel said in Daniel chapter 7. And then Jesus sets up his kingdom. That's the very next verse, uh, Revelation chapter 20, verse 1. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand, and he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who was the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. And after these things, he must be released for a short time. Then I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand, and they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Isn't that amazing? And it goes on to describe more of the kingdom and what happens after that. But you have, at this point, the Son of Man who received his kingdom from the Ancient of Days, He is enacting it on the face of the earth. This isn't a secret spiritual kingdom. This is a very explicit physical kingdom. His dominion will be from sea to sea. It will be uh, just, there will be no doubt that he is king of kings and lord of lords, and his people will reign with him because of the grace of God. And again, we see this in Daniel 7. I, I skipped this verse the first time. It says, the saints of the highest one will receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever for all ages to come. And it says in verse 22 that the saints, the saints of the highest one, will take possession of the kingdom. It says in verse 27 that the dominion and the greatness of all kingdoms under the whole heaven. So these are on the earth, national uh, ethnic kingdoms that that are led by Gentiles through, through the times of the Gentiles that are taking place. Well, these kingdoms, the dominion and greatness of all of them, will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. And it's still his kingdom. It's not our kingdom. We're not worthy of that. We just reign with him. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all the dominions will serve and obey him. Consistency across the Bible, isn't there? Total consistency between Daniel and Revelation. 
I think it's pretty amazing stuff. I hope that helped you understand some more of the book of Daniel, and I hope you enjoyed studying that, because this is all about the glory, the majesty, the worthiness, the honor of God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. He is bigger than you might think. <laughs> he is uh, he's infinite, and he is uh, robed in splendor, and he is going to make manifest in the future that he is truly King of kings and Lord of lords. And perhaps you're not sure where you're going to be. Are you going to be doomed with the beast, the little horn? Are you going to be, are you going to be destroyed? Or are you going to reign with Christ? Are you going to be one with him forever and ever? It all depends on what you do with the gospel in this life. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, says that it was appointed for man once to die, and then comes the judgment. You do not get a second chance after this life. You have this life to make a decision. Choose to follow Jesus, to believe Jesus, to be with Jesus. Choose life, not death. Recognize that it was Jesus who came to earth, the Son of God in human flesh, He died in your place for your sins, the perfect sacrifice, and he rose again. If you trust in Christ alone for your salvation, don't separate salvation and exaltation and say that, you know, you have to work for your own exaltation. The Bible doesn't present it that way. If you lean on the merits of Jesus Christ alone for all that you have in this life and the next, you will be saved. Will you trust in the finished work of Christ? and not be destroyed forever and ever, but instead be with and worship the one true God for all eternity. Would you do that? Would you consider it? Thanks for listening. Glad you joined me today. Next week, we'll get into the minor prophets. God bless.